Welcome to a podcast with Aaron Schultz. Men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Thank you very, very much for joining in today, episode 226, with Mr. Damien Christoph. Now, Damien Christoph um, is in his late 40s. Uh, he's a nutritionist, he's a chiropractor. Uh, all-round good guy. He's probably Australia's, if not one of the world's, uh, best longevity experts. So we're going to talk today about what it is to uh, be happy, healthy, and well our whole lives. Now, Aussie males primarily, uh, we do tend to neglect our health quite a bit, you know, and just think everything will be right, she'll be right, mate, all that type of stuff. Uh, and usually the body gives us a kick up the ass at some point in time. So... We need to be able to thrive in this lifetime. We're not just here to survive. We're really got to re- retrain ourselves to uh, a mindset of thriving and actually doing really well physically and mentally. So, so Damien's really uh, aware of this. He's done. He's been studying this for a long time. He takes people overseas to Ikaria every year to see what it is like to uh, experience a, a healthy, uh, happy life you know, all the way through to 100 and beyond. He's done, he does a wonderful podcast with uh, his colleague by the name of Mar- uh, Marcus Pierce called 100 Not Out. They've done over 500 episodes on this particular topic, interviewed lots of centenarians, so people that have lived to 100 and beyond, uh, and people that are thriving. So if you want to live a great life, if you want to you know, just stay away from the pharmaceuticals and all the traps of uh, modern society and not end up in a nursing home, this is going to be a great uh, conversation to, uh, to embrace and I really encourage you to share this one with others because Damien's, you know, a wealth of knowledge. And I really encourage you to check out his website, DamienChristov.com. Uh, after the show, uh, have, a, have a look at what he does and uh, he may be able to help you out and give you some guidance around uh, what it is to live your best life and uh, be able to thrive in this lifetime. As I mentioned, we're not here to just survive, we're here to, survive, uh, to thrive, you know. We're not uh, just a tax file number and uh, a retirement uh, superannuation check. That's it. There's, there's so much more to life than that. And uh, I really believe if we start to wake ourselves up now more and more, we're going to be able to do so. So I really encourage you to... Uh, uh, have a good listen. Have a listen again if you need to. Reach out to Damien. Please share this uh, this chat with others. I think um, they'll find it uh, very enlightening, very inspiring. So thanks for listening in. If you'd like to check out what we do uh, with Men's Health throughout regional Australia, check out outbackmind.org.au. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email with some feedback on the podcast, please do. I really appreciate that. Best to email me at support at outbackmind.org.au. G'day, Damien. G'day, Aaron. Thanks for having me. What a great opportunity to uh, to share some information. I'm looking forward to it. Thank oh, you. What a pleasure, mate. Like uh, I've loved your work for a while with what you do with Marcus Pierce, and um, you know, longevity is something that we're not conscious of. Uh, you know, because we're just worrying about the next dollar or the next thing or you know the next meal or whatever, but we're not sort of focused on on living and thriving in this lifetime. And, you know, we, we've got our eye and our super, but um, some of us don't make it to that that, that super, you know. So um, we'll probably, uh, you know, have a bit of a, a chat as we go here through um, 
through, I suppose, what it takes to, to be successful in this lifetime and, uh, and you know, not become dependent and stay independent, I think, which is really key. And I really love the fact that you're a, a country-born and bred boy from Mount Gambier in um, South Australia. That's, that's correct? Yeah, that's correct. I was there. Well, I dropped out of the womb there from my <laughs> mum and, <laughs> and I was there for a few months and then we moved uh, into sort of, at the time it was regional Victoria, but it's not really regional. It was more, more regional Melbourne, Dandenong. Mm. And, uh, and so I grew up in Dandenong. I was there definitely living on the wrong side of the tracks for the first probably 18 years of my life before I then uh, managed to successfully um, move out of Dandenong without too much damage done. Um but not a lot of education, and I moved to uh, Geelong, and I, and I lived down in Geelong for a bit. Studied, tried to study to be um, an accountant, did commerce down there at Deakin, and could have quite easily continued on my same and similar sort of journey, which is an unhealthy journey. Um, I could have continued with that, um, which is what I learned when I was living in Dandenong. I could have taken that whole journey and recreated that in Geelong. Mm. But I, I got kind of looked after by some guys that I was working with uh, when I was working at Maya, and, uh, and one of the blokes that looked after me, his name was David, showed me sport again. You know, so I'd left sport, um, and he got back into sport. And it was it was being around blokes and being around a team environment um, that gave me the opportunity to, you know, get back on the straight and narrow and, and be safe and well again, you know. And, and then from that sort of experience, I then... Um, thought I've got to do better. I've got to do more than what I've been doing to do a better job with my life. Because at you know 18 to 21 years old, I kind of wasn't living my best life, and I needed to do a better job. So um, I then went on to study to be a naturopath, and then a nutritionist, and then a chiropractor. And my education has kind of taken me in a in a in a I suppose investigative route to understand more about how we can age well and live a great life and feel fantastic and still have a heap of fun and be involved with our mates and have social circles that are strong and all that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm thrilled to be able to talk with you about this today and it comes from, you know, from starting off on the wrong side of the tracks to then, you know, living a really healthy and well life. Amazing, mate. Um, firstly, you would have spent a bit of time at the Lyric Nightclub in Geelong in the early days. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I've been kicked out of that uh, hotel a lot, yeah. a lot when I was younger, a lot. I had a lot of great nights at the Lyric. Um, and even walked home. You know, I, in fact, we had a lot of great nights at the Warm Ponds Hotel, and I walked home from the Warm Ponds Hotel in Warm Ponds all the way back to Geelong West, which is where I live, <laughs> because that's just kind of what you did. Yeah. Long walk, yeah. took a couple of hours, but we still did it, and we sobered up by the time we got back yeah, there. So. But it was kind of that sort of lifestyle that we did do. We'd go from the Nash to the Queen's Head to the Lyric, and that was kind of our Friday, Saturday night. So yeah, it, was, uh, it was good times. And very simple, no disruptions from mobile phones and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, good old yeah. days, mate. Amazing, yeah, isn't absolutely. It? It's funny because, yeah, that, that experience and journey is similar to mine. Like, uh, you, you do get sort of uh, roped into bad habits, uh, you know, as a young fella coming from those, I suppose, more lower socioeconomic areas. Um, yeah. A lot of my upbringing was around the footy club, the career club, heavy drinking, all that type of stuff, and I observed it. And I remember when I was 15, I, um, I said, I don't want to be like this, but there just wasn't much choice. You had to, you know fall in line I just remember think well if I can't beat him I've got to join him so I end up going down that path but I never never really liked what drinking and that sort of did to me you know and um, it did get a hold yeah. of me as I got older I didn't like it but it was uh, firmly entrenched in my uh, in my mindset and that that was the way I, I relaxed and socialized I suppose yeah 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 it's really common and 
Um, a lot of my friends kind of went down that route, and um, I think by the time you get to 40, I'm nearly 50, um, by the time you kind of get to that age, you're either aware that you're doing the wrong thing and you want to make a difference and, and do it differently because you want to see your kids grow up and then, you know, share in the joys of grandchildren when they have that and be able and be able to, you know, move around. Or you haven't yet worked out that you're going down a, you know, a pretty slippery slope um, and... And you just keep continue to do, you know, poor behaviours, hoping that something's going to turn out better. Like the luck of the draw is going to be in your favour. But literally, if you don't make a decision at some point in your mid-40s or 50s, um, it, you know, time races away and all of a sudden you get to 60 and 70 and, you know, you, you're right, you're not going to make make it to using your super very easily. So um, it, it's, a, it's a really great time now. Like it's a really great time now to kind of just take stock and just think about what it is that you're doing and are you on track to doing it better than what your parents or grandparents did? You know, look at what they did and then think, am I doing a better job than what they did? Because if you're not, then you're not going to have a better outcome than what they did, you know. So I'm always of that mindset that you've just got to kind of forecast a little bit, take stock of where you are right now. Are you doing a better job? Because then if you're doing a better job, you should expect a better result. If you're not, then you shouldn't expect a better result, you know. Yeah, mate, it's interesting. Like, you know, some light bulb moments come to me years ago when I saw how dependent my mum was on medication uh, and she wasn't living her best life in her 80s and so forth. And my dad was completely healthy, um, you know, never took any medication at all. Unfortunately, I had to go to a nursing home and it wasn't too long before they had him on medication in there and he lost the plot, you know, physically and mentally. Yeah. So yeah. so his, his um, independence become dependence. And I reckon there's so much focus in modern society on being or help, or, you know, creating a pathway of dependence for people, whereas we've got the ability to be independent as, um, as much as yes. possible if we choose to, to take that path, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. There are some things that appear to be out of our control at the moment. We don't understand, you know, neurodegenerative diseases. You know, look at MND, for example. Um, that's an issue. Um, we look at Alzheimer's. That's an issue. We look at dementia. We can potentially slow dementia, but we, it's hard to know how to get rid of it and to cure it. So there's a few things that are a little bit still outside of our control. Um, we do know that alcohol contributes to um, dementia and and to neurodegeneration um and so we've got to be mindful of that particularly abuse of alcohol and of course that leads to other issues you know kidney function and liver function and immune function and bone health and you know so on and so forth there's so much that you know a lot of alcohol causes problems with not a little bit of alcohol a lot of alcohol so and that's just regular drinking so let's you know keep that as part of our conversation for today but the 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 diseases that we can avoid, like heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, like there's about 20 cancers that if we tidy up our diet, and as guys, if we eat enough fruits and vegetables, then we can decrease the risk of all-cause mortality by 80 to 100%. So all disease-based death, early death, from chronic disease, like heart disease, diabetes, and about 20 cancers, all of that can be reduced by by 80 or 100 percent by eating more fruits and vegetables and studies came out there's a study that came out the other day aaron that said that seven serves of fruits and vegetables a day decreased your risk of all-cause mortality by 60 percent mm -hmm. but there was a study that came out in about 2005 that i reported on the television i used to have a tv show in new zealand and and i reported on this study that the 
that all-cause mortality decreased by 80 to 100% if you ate 12 to 15 serves of fruits and vegetables per day. Mm. And it's also been shown that men who consume more vegetables and fruits have less bowel disease, bowel cancer. And men who eat seven serves of fruits and vegetables a day decrease their risk of um, prostate cancer by about 90%. So if you think about just those little, you know, statistics, just by eating more fruits and vegetables, we can reshape our health and our well-being. Mm, we've got the power to do it. Yeah, you're right. It's um, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I think we've, we've been over-researched to the hilt. This is um, yeah. what, what nature provided us um, to, 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 to live off primarily. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we're just getting back to what, what we knew maybe 100 years ago or 200 years ago, you know, and... Um, yeah. it's, it's amazing. I always look, look at the philosophy and, you know, what, what the body has to deal with and, um, you know, can it do that more effortlessly? And if you combine the right fruits and veggies and that sort of thing and the right proteins, then it can actually work, uh, work better. But if we're sort of putting the wrong stuff in consistently, then the, the digestive system sends, sends us a message. And, uh, a lot of us, um, you know, don't know how to read that or understand it. Would you agree? Yeah, I would, mate. And, you know, we can be we can judge our cravings by the nutrition that we require. So if we're really tired, more often than not, we require B vitamins and sometimes iron. You know, so eating the right sorts of foods that provide B vitamins, like mushrooms, for example, and sometimes our grains, our beneficial grains, um, can assist us in in producing more B vitamins in our gut. Right. So that's a that's a really important thing to do. Iron comes from various sources. We can get it from our heme derived. Um, iron sources like meat and our non-heme derived iron sources like vegetables um, such as spinach and other green leafy vegetables you know so we can get our iron through there um, and then for example cravings like um, salt if we're craving salt generally we're requiring electrolytes particularly magnesium mm. so if we're craving salt if we throw in a bit of magnesium, it's highly likely if we're craving salt too that we've been getting cramps, we've been getting muscle ache and pain and we're, we're stiff in our muscles and that sort of thing. So adding a bit of magnesium to our diet, whether that's through food or supplementation, um, that can be hugely beneficial and help us get rid of our salt cravings. And then our sweet cravings, like sweet cravings are quite often an insufficiency or deficiency of calcium. Mm. So we want to look towards foods that can increase our calcium stores, like broccoli, for example, and sprouts and nuts and seeds. They're really great sources of calcium. And yes, many people might think, well, dairy. Well, dairy is very rich in calcium, but its bioavailability for many people can be quite poor. So mm. I, I don't mind people having some cheese and some yogurt and that sort of thing. I think that's totally fine. But my you know, suggestion from a nutrition and naturopathy perspective is to try and eat the plant-based versions of these nutrition, uh, nutritional packets as much as you possibly can. So it's your fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and, and they're really great sources of all the nutrients that we require. Mm, amazing, mate. Tell me this. Um, <clears throat> I know that there's a few AFL players that are just living on carnivore diets, meat, and that's it. What, what do you think about that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's a really fascinating thing. And, you know, if we go back to the time of the Paleolithic era, which is kind of where this, this carnivore diet kind of stems from, it, um, you know, it was that was all that was available. And you received high performance out of your body when you're really, really young and you're providing your body with lots of nutrition and protein and that's kind of what you can live on. Well, our body doesn't require a lot of carbohydrate to kind of function, though carbohydrate, you know, provides immediate fuel for our muscles, immediate fuel for our brain and all that sort of thing. And the carnivore diet provides 
very little carbohydrate. In fact, primarily it's mainly fat and protein. Um, and so as a young person, you can kind of get away with it. So when we go back to Paleolithic times, you look at the average age of a Paleolith, they live to about 30, 35 years old. That's as old as they lived. So there's no way of measuring long-term chronic health impact of consuming only animal-based proteins um, and only um, animals and not carbohydrates from the sources, you know, that we might otherwise be familiar with, like vegetables and fruits and salads and that sort of thing. So um, I encourage people that want to go down that route of consuming high amounts of protein to continue to eat high amounts of plant-based fibre, not necessarily from, you know, grains and legumes, but from you know, vegetables and salads, you know, to get bucket loads of digestible and indigestible um, fibre into their gut to help move their bowels out. Where high-protein diets kind of fail is when the bowels don't empty regularly enough and we need to make sure that our bowels are regularly emptying um, so that we don't store a lot of, um, you know, biomass or, or waste as a result of the digestion of the protein. So I encourage people to make sure that their bowels are moving every 12 to 24 hours. You can measure that really easily. There's a really nice little thing that people can do. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say nice, but easy thing that people can do. You just get a teaspoon of sesame seeds, put that into a glass of water, stir that around and drink it, and then start the stopwatch, and you should see those sesame seeds appear in your poo about 12 to 24 hours later, and then you know that your transit time is good. And if your transit time is appropriate, then the amount of protein that you're consuming is probably fine. The amount of fibre that you're consuming is probably fine. But if your transit time is really slow, it's highly likely that the diet approach that you're following is not ideal for you. And if it's really quick, like if you're getting those sesame seeds out in eight hours or six hours, then it's very clear to me that the diet approach that you're following is not right for your body mm. and you're malabsorbing nutrition and that becomes a problem as well. Mm. Interesting, mate. I know um, you're, you're very focused um, on, on, on living a long, healthy life and independence and you've been studying this for a long time. You've been taking people to Ikaria for quite a few years and, you know, just within, within a, you know, a few sentences or a few minutes, what are what are the, the the key things that you believe you know for longevity with regards to you know living physically and mentally well? Ah, oh, that's awesome, Aaron. So it's quite you know when I'm a nutritionist, you know you know it's pretty clear for everyone listening right now that they would you know could understand that I, you know I know a bit about nutrition and I love it. Like I I always thought that if you had a healthy diet, you'd live a long time. So our podcast that I've been doing with Marcus for, you know, just under 10 years now, which explores longevity, when we record, when we interview um, older people, let's say they're 90 or 100 or 105, 106, 107 years old, when we interview those people, we ask them about their diet and none of them, none of them have lived a healthy lifestyle from a diet perspective, none of them. Um, and certainly not for the whole of their life. And I'll tell you this one, Aaron, as well. Not one of them has been vegan for the whole of their life either. Mm. Like we are still yet to interview a centenarian vegan. Never, ever have we met a centenarian vegan. Mm. Um, and we've been doing this, doing this for 10 years. So, And so it's not through lack of trying to find one. We just can't find one. We just can't find someone who's 100 years old and is vegan their whole life and there's a reason for that maybe you and i can chat about that in a second but the three main things that help people live a long time are purpose engagement and movement so you'll see there that food and nutrition doesn't really factor into that but here's the other thing that these centenarians 
don't have chronic disease. They don't have heart disease or diabetes or cancer. So in order to live a long time, you need to avoid chronic disease. So heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. And of course, Alzheimer's is this new one, the new chronic disease, which we need to learn more about. But heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, we need to avoid. And then you need to maintain purpose, engagement, and move. You've got to keep on moving. So they're the things that, uh, that we've learned along the way um, that keep people living for a long time. Lots of people in regional areas don't move enough. Yeah, you know, is that amazing? Yeah, they still don't. You know, where I live up here in central Queensland at the moment, I after dinner I'll go for a walk every night and, and, and you know, people always comment on that. You know, I wish I could do this or do that, but they don't make an effort to do so. You know, I, I just think, you know, that sort of activity after you, when you're in a digestive cycle, maybe is a, is a good idea so you can, you know, process the food a bit better, possibly if it's available to you. But, um, but yeah, certainly like for me at 51 having that time early in the morning to move the body quickly and a bit of stress work with regards to weights and, and that type yep. of thing is, is very, very good for me personally. Um, that yes. sort of you know, helped me maintain you know, good physical fitness. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess, you know, for people listening, no matter whatever age you are, I just think doing something to possibly get your heart rate up but also, um, you know, just, just to get out into nature and move, I think, is probably the – one of the missing links because we're sending we're spending so much time denatured behind a screen or in a building or whatever you know we've uh, got to get out amongst it more and more and that way our immune system strengthens and our mental health um you know obviously uh you know is a it's a byproduct of that because we feel better between the ears would you agree yeah i do agree with that aaron you know the more we move the more oxygen we get flowing through our body um and when we move every step we take every breath we take um actually also pumps our cerebral spinal fluid yeah. and the cerebral spinal fluid that we have flows flowing around our spinal cord and around our brain which protects our brain and our spinal cord from shock kind of holds it and suspends it in like a gravityless environment and that's our immune system for our brain and our spinal cord right so every step we take and every breath we take it pumps the cerebral spinal fluid around our body and all around our around our spinal column and that's what renews and refreshes it that's what clears all the debris out of the brain and what's what clears all the debris out of the spinal cord and so we improve our health and well-being not only through having improved cardiovascular fitness because our heart's better but because we actually renew our immune system for our brain and our spinal cord, which is just so important. So if we're trying to decrease inflammation in the brain, we've got to keep on moving. And as we keep on moving, we improve the pump and flow of our cerebral spinal fluid. We improve the pump and flow of our blood. But we move all the nutrition in and around our body and get rid of all the waste that's in and around our body. And we feel better from doing that. We get hormones that circulate, oxytocin, different neurotransmitters that make us feel fantastic and loved up. That's the sort of thing that we want to do. We don't have to go and smash out a marathon, but just going for a walk for 30 minutes every single day, just that habit of walking for 30 minutes every single day will improve your longevity via reduction of stress in your body. You decrease the impact of stress by about 50% if you walk for 30 minutes every single day. So the chemical impact of stress on your body is reduced by 50% just by working, walking for 30 minutes. So I'd encourage people to just to do something simple like that and get into the habit of that. And then, of course, if they want to get into yoga, even better, Aaron. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, really, you look at the science of yoga primarily, that was all about an early morning practice which just got the body functionally moving well and, and moved 
you know, we call we use the word chi or prana or whatever you, you'd like to call it. It's energy yes. around the body, yeah. so it's not stuck. So the organs are actually getting a flush. You know, the um, the whole body, the joints are getting, um, you know, uh, manipulated, but also the mind is being cleared. And you know, they, they knew hundreds of years ago to be able to do this early in the morning. It just sets your mind up to be more meditative and more engaged rather than being stuck in the past or the future. And I'm really uh, yet to find a, a GP um, which, uh, you know, prescribes yoga before medication, you know. And uh, these are the sorts of things oh, that we need to do to be able to empower ourselves to, to maybe question um, things and take a bit of autonomy ourselves. I love that. It's very common, you know, a lot of people um, use medication before meditation and, um, and that, I think that's a real concern in our environment and not that I'm you know telling everyone they've got to go to meditate in fact the thought of meditation stresses me out which i think is ironic but for many people taking that time that moment to be mindful um is as powerful as meditation and that can help you avoid medication and you're right there's not a lot of practitioners out there that would prescribe self um i don't know self-awareness whether it be through yoga or meditation or mindfulness there's not many of not many practitioners out there that take the time to explain that to their patients that this is equally as powerful for your body and much safer than most drugs that are available in the marketplace mm, absolutely yeah mate we, we could definitely go deep with that one but you know obviously empowering people it doesn't make money uh no. you know uh, disempowering them and making them dependent does and you know as i mentioned to you i was very lucky when i went to a gp 15 years ago with an issue he gave me the option of movement or medication uh, so, so I, I was lucky I, I took the movement path because I, I who knows where i'd be if i went down the other other path and you know sometimes it's necessary but a lot of the times i believe people can actually you know empower themselves and and research and, and do some things which can actually give them uh, direction and purpose because yes. when, when we've got that purpose that's key isn't it otherwise we're we're we're, we're lacking purpose because we're becoming dependent on something and um, i just think this is um this is a great moment in time to help people understand that so we can start to move away from being um you know reliant on stuff yeah the dependency the dep dependency um creates um, I suppose a fragility of, of our community. If we feel that it's someone else's job to look after us, to look after our health, if we feel like you can you can you know not live according to the way in which your body desires, which is in a healthy way. If you if you feel that way because you think that someone else can fix you, then you've lost autonomy over your own health and um, and you've gifted it away. You've given it away to a system that's more likely going to be prescribing medication and offering you surgery. So in my mind, um, in my world, I try to do as many things as I can to enhance my chances of avoiding surgery and drugs because it's a slippery slope. Once you're in the system, you're in the system. It's very difficult to not take drugs once you're taking them. And it's very difficult to avoid further surgery if you enter the space of surgery. So, of course, if you need to do it, then you need to do it. If you've got to take the drugs to save your life, you've got to take the drugs to save your life. But where you're able to take control, try to get autonomy back um, and own your own health outcomes through your diet and lifestyle and hydration. It's interesting, mate. I know you're a chiro and, and I had a like sciatic issue for years just through through running and stuff and I was going to a physio for a long time and getting nowhere and spending a lot of yep. money too. But um, 
But then I, I discovered like yin yoga and yin yoga actually helped me heal myself and I actually yeah. become more present with my body and conscious of my body and what it was telling me. Yeah. Uh, and I just think we're, we're, we're quick to, um, to respond to uh, a trigger, but maybe that trigger is a sign to, um, to, uh, a sign to, to actually learn and, and, you know, correct that ourselves, you know, and we've, we've given, that, um, given that away to others uh, to try and help us heal, but really we've got the power to do that through diet by reducing our inflammation, but also through functionally moving the body a little bit differently, which can get it back into alignment. Yeah, I agree with you. You know what's interesting about that, and I think the physios do a great job, and I think that you know all manual therapists do a great job, and you know all manual therapists should be helping each of us, you know, get our body back to a point where we are able to sustain our health ourselves. Now. I don't see chiropractic as, uh, you know, a manual therapy that's designed for repair. I see... Call from Mark. ...therapy that's designed to assist in proper spinal movement. So I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily subscribe to just seeing a chiropractor when you're injured. In my practice, I encourage people to do yoga, Pilates, go and walk, go and run, cycle, do whatever it is that you feel like you want to do to maintain your overall health. And then I'll be part of your spinal health. And that's the way that I see it. So it's not a rehab model that I use in my practice. And there are some chiropractors that do use a rehab model, and that's totally fine. Um, but in my in my practice, the type of chiropractic that I practice is more about the restoration of function to the spine um, and then the maintenance of the function of the spine. And so I, I work with people to encourage them to not only get the spine healthy, but to move better and to eat better and to live better. That's, that's my approach. Yeah, that's really holistic, isn't it? And you're actually giving people tools. Uh, yes. You know, if they're, if they're aware of their body and how they're moving, I think um, that can play a real part into them uh, you know, uh, developing um, uh, themselves and, you know, and I guess you've probably got the mindset if you can help someone on a journey and never see them again, that's probably success. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely success, particularly if they stay well. Um, and at the same time, if people need, you know, regular care to be well, then, you know, I'm really happy to be part of that. I mean, obviously, that's a, it's a great part of, of what chiropractic is and we see, you know, people from birth through to death and it's, uh, it's really nice. So it's a really great, a really great time to um, to spend with people, you know, whether it's 10, 15, 20, 30 years um, as part of the health, you know, health team to keep them, you know, well and, and strong. But to watch them become empowered again, to gain back, autonomy with their health and well-being because they've been introduced to practices such as yoga or healthy eating um, or rehydration or a reduction in sugar or a reduction in alcohol to see people regain autonomy of their health is uh, it's a special it's a, it's a special gift it's a it's a great opportunity so what stands out for you like throughout your journey um, now at 49 <clears throat> some of the the individuals that you've come across which you believe are probably the top few people that have really thrived in this lifetime like like could you give some examples of um of what that actually looks like yeah totally um one of the greats and everyone who's listening to this podcast will know of this man tommy hafey mm. um when i interviewed tommy um he was about i think he was 80 let's say he was 85 or 86 years old and i interviewed him with marcus and he's one of our early podcasts on the hunter not out and he was um, chosen by Jeep to be the face of Jeep for their 75th anniversary, but he was 85 at the time. <laughs> and um, 
the reason was is they couldn't find a healthier, fitter-looking person at 75 years old than Tommy. And so they chose Tommy at 85 to represent them for their 75th anniversary, which we thought was unbelievable. But he, he had a great mindset, and if it wasn't for the dreaded cancer that got him, um, you know, who knows where he'd be, but he, he would now be closer to 95 years old at this point in time. So um, he was kicking goals. He was doing a great job, Tommy. I loved it. Um, there were some really great people that we interviewed. Selena, Selena Biniaz is a... A, um, a survivor of the Holocaust, and she was a beautiful woman who just, um, you know, used forgiveness and movement and um, and love and poetry and literature to kind of help quieten her mind and live a really great long life. And mm. she she lived to 104 years old, 105 years old, something like that. Dexter Kruger, another Holocaust survivor, what an incredible man he was. Um, and Eddie Jaku, um, you know. Uh, Unbelievable! Actually, Dexter, I beg your pardon. He he was he's a farmer up in Queensland. Um, Eddie Jarko was a Holocaust survivor. He was incredible, and he lived to 108 years old. So, these people um, who went through very very difficult times rose from the ashes, and they did that through movement and engagement and purpose. And they found their purpose which drove their engagement and it helped them maintain their movement. So I think purpose becomes the key. Um, and I could list, you know, a dozen, if not more, maybe 50. But close to my heart, Aaron, was my grandfather. And at the age of 99 years old and 350 days, he ended up passing away. He nearly made it to 100, nearly raised his bat. And, uh, and, and he was a gentleman. Uh, he was humble. He didn't drink alcohol. In fact, he, you know, he was the worst vegetarian in the world in that one thing that he loved the most was going down to McDonald's and buying a burger. Um, he really enjoyed a cheeseburger, but he called himself vegetarian. Um, but he was, he was just a really kind man. And the kindness that he showed really helped shape me to be a kinder person. And I think if you can practice kindness, it actually quietens your mind and quietens your heart. And, and I think that that was the key to his survival and he lived a long time because I think he was a kind man and I think that's important. Agree, mate. And you, listen, you look at Selena and, and your grandfather a lot. They were more in their parasympathetic, weren't they? Like they were oh, yeah. Calm, yeah, absolutely. Calm more consistently. And, uh, yeah. and those acts of, uh, you know, the high levels of consciousness, I always call them, like kindness, gratitude, compassion, you know, yes. we've got to be more connected to that because that's our true nature, I believe. We've been forced into the lower levels of fear, shame, guilt, greed, you know. That's yes. not, a, not a healthy yeah. way to be. And, and when I see people that are in those mindsets, I actually have compassion for them as much yeah. as possible. We're, we're just getting drawn away from our hearts. And yeah. uh, if you use the philosophy of yoga, primarily we're in our now lower chakras, so you know our our survival mode. But when we actually rise up to the heart, that's where you know your grandfather and Selena were living primarily. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, the more I think about that, as you talk about that, I think yeah, that's spot on. Um, you you raised you said a word there called parasympathetics, and I'm not sure how much the listeners understand the idea of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, but. Suffice to say that the sympathetic nervous system um, is the part of the nervous system that speeds things up and gets things going. And, you know, we activate that with our fight or flight mechanisms. That's, you know, it's a really important part of um, survival. We really need our fight or flight and our sympathetic nervous system to stay alive. 
But in order to live a long time, we need to also access our parasympathetic because that's what helps us rest and digest and heal and repair. And so we need to be able to move into our parasympathetics, which is the part that slows us down and enables us to repair the damage that we've done through the day. And it's only through doing damage through the day and then repairing it that we actually get stronger. Is that if we do damage through the day but we don't get a chance to repair it, then we start to you know, develop disease and ill health. And so we want to move back into our parasympathetics. We want to quieten down at the end of the day. And we want to be able to digest a good healthy meal and then sleep really well and wake up feeling refreshed in the morning because that would indicate and signal that our body's repaired and is ready to, you know, without, without you know, using the wrong words here, you know, fight another day or live another day. But at the end of the day, what our body wants to do is survive and if we give it the opportunity to move through fight and flight through the day and then rest and digest in the evening um we we give our body another great chance of surviving for a long time mm, that's right mate just uh yeah well that, that's it uh, that that's really a key to longevity isn't it to be able to have those bookends in your day where you are tuning in but also tuning out towards the end of it and uh and slowing down and actually functionally you know slowing your, your body down like when you and I were kids, we probably watched TV and then Dad would tell us to get up and turn the channel over. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, yeah. Mind you, where I live, we only had two channels anyway. But, um, uh, <laughs> Do you? Yeah, we're back, back in Horsham, yeah. But, um, but yeah, mate. Uh, like, oh, back well, then. The, the back then, yeah, absolutely. But, but these days, yeah. I don't actually watch TV at night. I try and reduce screen time. Um, I, I, I avoid any stimulation. You know, I try and have a meal at night that's not stimulative as much yeah. as possible so the body's got a chance to to settle down and you know uh, i just think you know people listening to this a lot of people would probably be still looking at their mobiles when they go to bed and and that's one way to stay in your sympathetic nervous system rather than your parasympathetic and, and slowing down and if you want to live a long healthy life i think we need to be more like your granddad and selena uh was it selena yeah um, yeah. that, that actually are doing these things which keep them grounded and calm and kind, you know, and um, that's, that's a gift of human nature that uh, I think we've lost uh, a lot of touch with. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I do, I see some people out there that are kind of trying to biohack their way to longevity. It's really sexy. You know, mm-hmm. you take this supplement, you take this nutrient and you maximise this and you max out on that and, um, and you take this pharmaceutical drug because it you know, helps to lengthen your telomeres and you do all this sort of stuff. Mm. But all that biohacking model is born out of fear and greed and selfishness. It's not actually born out of um, that you know, nice peaceful space that you were talking about before. So the higher up chakra is being in the heart space. You're not trying to biohack your way into that space. You actually move into that space, and that's a graduation. You graduate to that space through, you know, living life better, making better choices, drinking more water, eating more plants, um, being conscious of the types of animal proteins that you're consuming, making sure that you're detoxifying appropriately. Your bowels have got to move every single day, 12 to 24 hours, making sure your urine's clear at the end of the day. There's little things that we can do that, you know, are really simple triggers that help us live a great time, a great life um, without biohacking our way there. Um, and it respects, I suppose, nature. And, and I love that, being a naturopath. I love the idea that we can respect nature in, and, and benefit from it. Yeah, mate. And it's really interesting, like, 
that 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 mindset of biohacking and quick fixing and that it's in our face all the time, you know. But primarily, yeah. I just always look at, at nature and what nature is actually trying to give us, and and to work with those cycles more and more and the rhythm uh, yes. of it, because when we're forcing against it, eventually we're going to get a kick in the ass. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, Aaron. We could talk all day, mate. I reckon you and I have got conversations for uh, for eternity. <laughs> but uh, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy chatting with you. Tell me, mate. Um, I know you're a busy man, but uh, quickly with regards to Icaria, I know you and Marcus do a retreat there uh, every year. What's it all about? We um, we became fascinated with longevity, Aaron. And thanks for asking this question because I think it's really important. We um, when I was about to turn 40, I became a little bit fearful. I was like, what's on the other side of the hill? Like, what, what's going to happen to me? And so Marcus sent me this uh, great video, um, and it was Healthy at 100. And so I watched that little DVD, and there was all these centenarians there that had lived a long time, and, and they were healthy and well and still moving around. And some of them actually had world records at Masters Games and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, this is unbelievable. It, obviously, life can be pretty good on the other side of 40. So we started this podcast, and what became really clear was that there was cultures around the world that were doing a really good job. And then Dan Buettner, who was a researcher from National Geographic, he discovered these areas within the world that had even better longevity than all the others. And this longevity um, recipe that he was discovering was confined to these five areas in the world that he called the blue zones. And one of these blue zones is Icaria. It's in Greece. And so we decided that what we would do is we'd go and explore it. So we thought, well, if we go to Greece and we go to Icaria, we might be able to pick up on the secrets of longevity in that culture. And so now what we've started doing is going to Icaria every year, taking a group of, you know, 10, 20 people. We head over there, we experience longevity the way in which they do it in Icaria, and we try to translate that into things that we can do when we come home to our busy lives back in Australia or the US or New Zealand, wherever you're from, you can come you know, and join us. Um, next year, we're going to go to Sardinia. Um, the year after, the year after that, we're going to go to Okinawa. We're going to continue to explore longevity, um, the way in which these cultures have mastered the art of ageing well. And uh, and that's what our journey is all about and that's what it's been and that's where it's taking us. So 10 years on, uh, we're, just, we're just loving, you know, taking people to Greece and experiencing what we experience and, um, and they come back and live a healthier, better life just because they've experienced it, you know, not just because they've read it in a book. Yes. Oh, 100%, mate. That... The, the lived experience uh, is, is key, isn't it? Like to be actually be able to experience it yourself. So, you know, yeah. I, I, reckon, I reckon you're doing a wonderful thing to be able to, to show people rather than like them researching on the internet or, um, or read a book about it or whatever, they go there and, and that's imprinted into them, um, you know, from that experience. They'll actually like embrace it and take it home. The, the likelihood of that uh, being sustainable is much more um, you know, prevalent, I would have thought. You know, if someone's there and they get back to Australia and they, they, they know what, uh, what, what good health looks like rather than poor health, you know, and if they're actually be able to focus on that, that's tremendous. And I reckon you probably have evidence of people that have, uh, that have embraced it since going there with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, even even families like young families. So we've had people that are you know seventeen, eighteen years old come over with their mum, um, or we've had kids at fifteen, sixteen years old come over with their dad. You know, um, even 
couples that are 75 years old, you know, coming over and just going, okay, cool. So this is what it's all about. It's about moving. It's about eating in this particular fashion. It's about taking these things out of our lifestyle and subbing it in or subbing it out with something else, you know. Mm. Um, It's easy to do it once you've lived it. Uh, And once you've tasted it, you kind of go, okay, now I get it. Now I now I get what is required to just turn turn things around. Yeah, mate. that's um, it. Yeah, there's plenty of examples of that. Good work, no, mate. Really, uh, really encourage anyone that's uh, that's interested in investing in themselves to jump on. Have you got any tickets left for this year? Is it all sold out? Um, I think there's about two or three spots left at the moment, mate. Um, and so I don't know when this podcast goes out, but we need our final numbers in by the 28th of February, 2023. So um, if this goes out after the 28th of February, you've missed the boat. But if uh, it goes out beforehand and you hear it and you go, oh, my gosh, that's for me, then go to 100notout.com.au forward slash 2023 and you'll be able to find out more about it so it's 100notout.com and then forward slash 2023 and you can find out more about it and then if you're interested drop us a line and uh, we might be able to get you in sounds good mate I'll, i'd love to come myself maybe maybe not this year but next year but i reckon my young bloke would uh, would really enjoy it so might uh, might take you up on that down the track and um who's your tip for the flag in the afl this year Oh, I'll be Tigers um, by a long shot, I reckon. I don't think the doggy stand a chance, to be so, to be honest with you. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> oh, I well, what's interesting, I was talking to a bloke this morning about Matthew Richardson, and uh, he, yeah. might, he might be keen to make a comeback because uh, uh, it sounds like uh, the, they were actually going to WA to do a, a wellbeing tour and it got scrapped, so he might be looking for a bit of coin. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, we'd take Richo back in a heartbeat. He'd be unbelievable. Um, just drop the ball to him from 15 metres out. I reckon he could uh, get 50% of those goals. There's no doubt about it. But he's um, the Tigers all the way. I reckon. I reckon, and it's probably. I would say. I would say this is my tip, and we'll go back on this. Um, I reckon we're in Melbourne and Richmond Grand Final. That's mm. what I'm thinking. Well, we'll have another chat in uh, September, and we'll see uh, how accurate that is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Thanks so much, mate. Cheers, mate.